You are listening to Go Doc Yourself, your weekly documentary book club. Listen in while we two errands dissect our most recent documentary find. Sometimes weird, sometimes mainstream, but always entertaining. Grab a cup of coffee and let's clutch. Hi, and welcome to Go Doc Yourself. I'm Erin McCart. And I'm Erin McCart. Welcome back. Thanks for joining us this week. Before we get into our documentary this week, I really want to say, if you guys listen to our documentary about the Janes, there is a movie coming out, mm-hmm. a drama, based on that, it's named Call Jane. I was going to say called Call Jane, but that sounds ridiculous. So that should be coming out shortly, and it has like Elizabeth Banks and Sigourney Weaver. Sigourney Weaver. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think everyone should go out and see it. My only plug for today. That I know Delightful. Early. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. really excited to see it. I didn't know that it was coming until you sent me the the trailer. And I was like, ooh, almost like they planned yeah. it this way. <laughs> right. Almost like they saw something coming. I don't right. know. Right. They were like, what What can we uh, put out into the world that might help people understand what we're getting ourselves back into? Because we certainly yeah. can't look backwards. Anyway. Mm. Can't learn from our mistakes. Anyway. Absolutely yes. not. So today. Mm-hmm. We're going to be talking about the Menendez brothers, specifically a new documentary called Menendez Brothers Misjudged, question mark. This is a Discovery Plus documentary. Mm-hmm. I do not have Discovery Plus, so I purchased it on Amazon. It was like $3 to buy it. So That's what I did, too. I got it off Apple TV, and it was a three-buck investment mm-hmm. that I'll have forever because I did purchase and not rent. So yeah. I feel very grown up. Yes. I, have a li- I have a library now. <laughs> This just came out in 2022. It's an hour and 25 minutes long. It is directed by Andrea DeBrito. And when I looked at her history, she's got a lot of true crime under her belt, this girl. Mm-hmm. She's definitely got a genre that she prefers. Good so. for her. She's speaking to mm-hmm. women's interests because a, of, a lot of broads I know like some true crime. Guilty. Right. Sitting right here. I do love it. If you've been living under a rock or perhaps you were not born in... <laughs> the time. That's the the more likely scenario. The Menendez brothers murder is a pretty big story in true crime. Mm -hmm. So this is not Mm -hmm. some kind of off the beaten track documentary or story or whatever. This one is a big Mm -hmm. one. It's a big hitter. So in 1989, the Menendez brothers were accused, let's say, of killing their parents in Beverly Hills. Mm Mm-hmm. I think this really captured people's imaginations because I think there's a belief that there's no crime that happens if you're rich and they on the surface had a very perfect nuclear family, mom, dad, Mm -hmm. two kids, and they were living the American dream. Sadly, they really were living the American (laughs) dream when you find out the rest of the story. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. This happened in 1989 the mm-hmm. trials didn't happen until like 93 and 96. They were much later into the 90s. But I remember it. I remember mm-hmm. the media surrounding it. The, oh, yes. they these kids killed their family for money. They just mm-hmm. wanted the money. They portrayed, they weren't even human. I mean, the way they were being portrayed in the media and like SNL and all these yeah. late night hosts, they were no longer people. Right? 100%. But that's all you were fed and so you didn't really know any different. And so you're like, oh, okay, well, that sucks. You know, right. I guess they did it for money. 
Yeah. This was the narrative and there really wasn't mm-hmm. any questioning it. No, everyone stuck to the same narrative. Yes. So that's sort of the background of where we start. Mm-hmm. Then kind of in preparation, part of the production, and there's some audio from Lau Menendez mm-hmm. around December 2021. Um, he does a rare interview with the producers of this documentary to give mm-hmm. some story. It's not necessarily about the crime or about the trials or whatever. It's sort of the life that the case has taken on in recent years mm-hmm. because of TikTok. There have been some very bright people who have taken a second look at the case. They're reporting, mm-hmm. they're questioning, they're kind of out beating the bushes trying to drum up support mm-hmm. for a new trial, for freeing them. I think they're just trying to get some traction somewhere to support the brothers. Right. It is really interesting because these are mostly younger kids. Like they talked to a couple of them specifically. One was like 15, one was 16. There was Mm -hmm. a girl who was 28, but most of them are women. There are some men, but I'm going to say that's probably because it's more likely women get into true crime than men. So this makes sense, right? I assume we get into true crime just because we're learning from other people's mistakes, which to make sure when we commit crime, it'll be perfect. Or if you don't want to get murdered, that's the other thing I think that is helpful. (laughs) I'm just empowering people and you're knocking us down. I can't take you anywhere. And so you have this group of Gen Z kids who have a very different view growing up than say we did. Our generation very much looked at it like, I I guess we'll get into it later, but it was, Mm -hmm. you know, that they went into child abuse and we were still coming out of the 80s with satanic panic and all these things. And it was easier to believe that there was something else going on versus something bad in the family. People still didn't want to believe that it was possible, even though it's very common, unfortunately. And and now these kids are, they're just more open-minded. They have seen it. They've grown from it. They're allowed to express it, I guess, where mm-hmm. we were like not. I don't know. Right. They're questioning things where we just accepted mm-hmm. them, right? Like we didn't mm-hmm. know that there was any other possibility. Right. So that's kind of how... I understood it. Yeah, it's a it's a great mix. Can I tell you, <laughs> I was sitting watching this. My youngest kid comes in and he goes, what are you watching? And I was like, oh, it's this thing on the Menendez brothers. And he goes, oh, my God, they're so fine. And I'm like, oh, OK. So he had heard of it. Bit of a TikToker <laughs> that one is. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the whole thing is that it is blown up on TikTok. And I can attest that it has touched my household as well. Yeah. I've not run across this on my for you page because it's all full of cute dog videos and occasionally <laughs> a goat or a pig or something adorable a little spider i know right too. but mine is all like feel good lovey stuff because i that's my escape from the world right now and right, my kids right. watching true crime shit so touche world mm-hmm. it's pretty awesome and i don't think it has touched mine yet only because today when i was watching it my youngest walked in he's like what's this and i explained he's like okay what's that so yeah, no, he doesn't care. And then I explained it and he was like, oh my God. Yep, absolutely. Just keep walking, kid. Right. Take that innocence right back upstairs <laughs> with you. <laughs> Woohoo. Okay. So they give some t- t- statistics even. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they give some statistics that there are hundreds of thousands of people making TikTok videos about the Menendez brothers. They can't all be positive, but I'm assuming the majority of them probably are. And they have over 700 million total views. That's a lot of fucking views. It's a lot of views. 
Yeah. Yeah. So that's just, I don't know. I thought about going on to TikTok and kind of looking it up and seeing what I find, but I didn't. So I mean, here we are. I appreciate <laughs> your going out to gather some evidence, but I think we had everything. We needed. Yeah. We saw it the first time around. Yeah. I like to bring our old school viewpoints. <laughs> that might be more unique here. So we do talk to Ezra Marcus. He's a reporter for the New York Times. He wrote an article about this. It's called The New Menendez Defenders. And it was all about this new phenomenon on TikTok. Mm-hmm. I thought what was funny is they showed videos of people calling the Menendez brothers hot, mm-hmm. as your youngest did. Yeah. And then other people who like to gatekeep, they're like, listen, if you really believe in them, you wouldn't call them sexy or whatever. And I'm like, well, you could be both things. You could be innocent and sexy. It is possible. Well, I think it sort of plays into the old thing that we are more forgiving. We are more aligned. We if someone is attractive, it makes a difference to us as human beings. You know, as much as we don't want to be, we are still driven in, in such a way. We're say we're positively biased for people that are attractive. Did not help these cats, sadly. Because they are <laughs> attractive. Right. Yeah, it didn't help them. However, on one hand, it's probably helping get the story back out again. Because you have a bunch of young girls being like swoony and shit. Even though now they're like in their 50s, I would say. Yeah, that'd be about right. Yeah, mm-hmm. mid-50s or so. It's kind of funny to hear young kids being like, ooh, they're so hot. Well, people thought Bundy was hot, too, so. Yeah. <laughs> people slept with Charles Manson, and right. he wasn't even attractive. He was, like, four foot tall. And <laughs> yeah. Needed a bath. I don't know. Look, those eyes were very intense, and that probably spoke to some people. Also, let's say mm-hmm. that it is safe to look at the Menendez brothers and call them hot because they are locked up, right? There's no yep. downside mm-hmm. to being like, yeah, they, you know, have, they had a little something going on. They also have in this a lot of video from the original mm-hmm. trial. Mm-hmm. And they talked about with the internet and everything, it's becoming much more popular. Now, one thing they discussed is this trial was like the first one that was a huge major trial that was televised. This was right at the beginning of court TV And so their initial trial would be trials, right? They look like they were tried together, but I think they were tried separately. I mean, in theory, they have to be. But they always seem to be together in court, right? It may just be the way they cut the shots together. Could be. Mm -hmm. Because I did not watch the entirety of the trial. Well, I wish that you were dedicated to research. I mean, (laughs) that's really what's holding us back. (laughs) That's it. I'll see you in four or five months, okay? (laughs) That's right. Cool, cool. But yeah, it's interesting to see the footage. And a lot of it I remembered. It was nothing new because I remember them showing clips and bits and bobs. Yeah. Just inundated with it, really. You couldn't get away from it. That's the level we're talking about. Right. Oh, Mm -hmm. absolutely. Yeah. Let's see. I already talked about our TikTokers. We have Nora from the Netherlands, who's 16. We talked to her a lot. Mm -hmm. Rebecca, 28, from the U.S., Mm-hmm. Now, I like that Rebecca had mentioned that before she actually looked into it, she was all about they're guilty. I don't believe anything that they said. I believe mm-hmm. the media. And then she said once she started looking into it, she watched the trial, I hope in its entirety, because she looks dedicated, and read books and everything. She really changed her outlook, which is nice, because if you go into it with one outlook, a lot of times you're just going to find things that support that. Mm-hmm. And she actually did correct research in finding, hopefully, opposing viewpoints that she can make her own decision, right? Right. I liked that she had a 
like a very nice neon sign in the shots with her footage and it said criminology and coffee and I was like oh that's a good name (laughs) right yeah as a person who appreciates a a fine name for a thing a nice alliteration yeah she gets a 10 out of that so Mm -hmm. we also talked to Ellie who's 15 from the UK and there are some others that they talked to but these were the three that I think they bring up the most, but they really discuss as a younger perspective, how the media dealt with it at the time versus Mm -hmm. how they are perceiving it now. Mm -hmm. I just want to make one statement about something Mm -hmm. Ellie said that really caught my attention. She said something about the case being treated like a joke because nothing bad happens in Beverly Hills in the Mm nineties. Like the OJ Simpson everything everything that was bad in the 90s started in beverly hills yeah there's like god love her but you know okay and i think that was part of the narrative Mm -hmm. in a vacuum that's that's absolutely what you believe but i was just like notice Mm -hmm. right a lot of bad shit went down in beverly hills in the 90s that's right just you know it's all Mm -hmm. good they got nothing but like old-timey videos to look back on they don't know Bless her hearts. It's like us watching 50s TV. Agreed. Like, not her fault by any means. My horrible mm-hmm. Gen X heart was like, that's fucking wrong. <laughs> that's fucking wrong. That's right. <laughs> Don't tell me about the 90s, please. <laughs> Listen, let me get my brown lipstick out and we'll talk. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'm wearing something cut off and crocheted right now. I didn't even know. Oh, I'm thankful I don't know. I don't think that either one of us need to be in anything cut off or crocheted. I'm just saying. And 100%. 100%. Someone else I talk to a lot is Dr. Sharon Ross. She's a critical media studies professor. Mm. And I thought, is that like a full degree program? Or did you get your degree in like sociology and then you like specialized in this? I don't know. I was just curious how that came about. I thought that was really cool, too. I did not know there was a field. Um, She mentions that she specifically studies media trends and youth culture. And Mm -hmm. I know that you and I have our thumb on the pulse of youth culture, and we could probably do this job. (laughs) Absolutely. (laughs) Absolutely. Right? (laughs) But anyway, I really enjoyed what she was saying. Mm -hmm. What an interesting thing to look back on media trends and analyze and compare different time frames. I just thought that was like actually really cool. Right. I want to write something I would have liked to have done. Yeah. If I knew it was a thing. Absolutely. Yeah. But she talks specifically a lot about the late night. I said, yuck, yucks from Jay Leno and Bill Maher when they're like, you know, mm-hmm. ragging on the brothers. And again, that is very common at this time. That is really all yep. that you hear at this time after the crime is committed. And it's mostly found that, they, I mean, they did commit this crime. Right. So they yeah. admitted to it. Mm-hmm. Right. So that's part of the thing is when they went to trial, it wasn't whether or not they committed the crime. They had admitted mm-hmm. to it at this point. Right. It was, why did they commit the crime? So would they be charged with manslaughter or murder? Which is a big difference. Mm-hmm are they lying about why they committed the crime, right? So you get a lot of different viewpoints here. There's one person in here, particularly I do not like. I'm sure you know who that is. But yeah, so that's essentially what they're going through in this documentary. It's just, okay, how was this perceived then versus now? Mm -hmm. Do we perceive them as telling the truth now more than we did then, Mm -hmm. right? Even, Even me, as someone who remembers the original trial, coming back and looking at it now with different eyes, 
Do I see it differently? I think absolutely. Absolutely. I'll agree with you 100%. I was still pretty young, Mm -hmm. middle school-ish, when Mm -hmm. the trial was going on. I didn't have a giant awareness, but as far as, you know, the media blitz and stuff like that, I do remember a lot of that kind of stuff. Like, I guess probably edging into high school when they finally, you know, were convicted. Do you want to talk about the douchebag known as Alan (laughs) Abramson? Yeah. Thank you. He is a douchebag, in my opinion. Mr. Condescending Corey, I can't with him. To me, he's the the guy that did not change his viewpoint. He knew it at the time. He's Mm -hmm. learned nothing in the last Mm -hmm. few years. Is it because part of this was involved with his work? Possibly. So he's a a reporter for the LA Times. He specifically reported on the trial. He talks a little bit about what Beverly Hills was in... The context of that time. So this was the American dream. This is what we were all striving for. So he mm-hmm. says, I think it's really funny that they lived on Elm Street and that is perfection. Right? That's what I thought too. <laughs> Sometimes there's a nightmare on Elm Street. I'm just saying. Sometimes. He comes at it from a very dated place, in my opinion. It's, you know, very much that they had a perfect life. They showed some early signs of problematic behavior that -hmm. translated to these murders they just were in it for the money Mm -hmm. and we just wrapped it all nicely up with a bow no questions that's it right bob's your uncle we're done right right Mm -hmm. i agree i also wonder if it was part of his work so there's so many times Mm -hmm. that we have seen doing this podcast and watching these documentaries that people cannot admit they're wrong right Mm -hmm. and that's part of growth it's okay to be wrong Mm -hmm. thank god i'm wrong like daily (laughs) And it's also okay to admit that you were wrong at the time and now you have more information. So you weren't necessarily wrong as much as you've changed your opinion because you have new information. Mm-hmm. That's how people grow. But right. there's him and then there's also a police officer, Sergeant Tom Edmonds, who worked on the case, who also did not change his mind. And it's he makes a little more sense to me. He walked into that scene. He mm-hmm. saw it. That has to have a different effect on you, right? Because it, right. it's pretty gruesome. That I almost understand a little bit more. The reporter, it's just like, well, if I say I don't think they did it for these reasons, then everything I wrote back then was wrong, is how I see him coming at it. Well, it's very partial. And what I want out of my journalist is impartiality. Like, he should just be reporting on the facts. It shouldn't be an opinion-based thing. And he just tips it right on over to opinion-y. Thank God he's here to tell us what we need to think. (laughs) So... Sergeant Tom Edmonds, who looks like mm-hmm. every guy that was on the force in the 80s. Yes. Um, I mean, he's aged <laughs> just a, a skosh in that time. Yeah. But he does talk about walking into a horrific scene. It was mm-hmm. extremely shocking because, again, um, if you're rich, nothing bad ever happens to you. Mm-hmm. He discusses talking to Eric and then to Lyle, and both were emotional, but I almost got the feeling that they were both wrong (laughs) they didn't handle it how they expected them to yes one was too emotional one wasn't emotional enough so Mm -hmm. i'm like welcome to be a woman that's exactly (laughs) how i feel sorry guys this is what it's like it just happens yeah you're welcome (laughs) go ahead i was just gonna say that they had discussed the crime scenes Mm -hmm. both parents were shot with a shotgun jose which was the father was dead on the couch. He had been shot several times, once in the back of the head. 
so dead immediately. And Kitty, the mother, which, come on now, Kitty, really? That's someone's Mm -hmm. fucking name? Sorry. She had fallen off the couch, but had also been shot several times. And the TV's still on. They had berries and cream on the coffee table. That seems like a very Beverly Hills thing to eat. I mean, isn't that what they ordered in Pretty Women? No, it was berries and champagne. My bad. Sorry. Yeah, this is like some shit you eat at Wimbledon only. I don't know. (laughs) Right? With the big hat on. Yeah, I don't know any other context where I'm okay with someone having berries and cream just watching... I don't know, Andy Griffith or whatever. <laughs> it's just not that wholesome. Pretentious. But yeah, it was pretty gruesome. Mm-hmm. So again, I can understand a little bit more of why Sergeant Tom kept that opinion because he saw what happened. And then there's a lot of discussion about what, so it happens, the brothers call it in, you get to hear some snippets of the call. Mm-hmm. Again, like every 911 call you ever hear, you, you're like, I don't know how I feel about this. At least I am. I, I don't know what the appropriate response is, but it never seems like right. it comes off well. Well, and this one, the 911 operator seemed like a bit of a bitch. Like, listen, you're <laughs> keeping me from my smoke break, so come the fuck out with it, right? Yeah. But she was almost yelling at him. I'm like, ma'am, you're supposed to remain calm. That's your job. Right. Whatever. I do have some questions about. I'm not a firearms expert. I mean, in my spare time, I don't know if you know that about me. I don't have a lot of experience, but a shotgun, several shotgun blasts, like no one heard that. Okay. One, I would think, yes, you would hear it. But, and in Beverly Hills, it's not like, even though you're rich and gated, it's not like you're that far apart, right? That's what I was thinking. Like, these aren't like sweeping estates. They're, they got some yard to them. Yeah. Also, I hear shit all the time because fireworks are set off year fucking round here. So I don't know. It could be the case where they thought it was something else. Or like they said in the 90s, you did not know your neighbors. You were fairly separated, especially in Beverly Hills. They're like, don't ask, don't tell, man. Just hope it turns out well. So best of luck to you. What we're saying is it's possible people heard stuff, but they just Mm -hmm. thought it was a real rowdy game of Leisure Sue Larry. Yes. Like it was just some kind. Okay. All right. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, did you hear that? Otis has got quite a bit to say. <gasps> oh, that Otis. I know. He's like He's those so... 90s, man. I know. <laughs> He's like, I've heard things. So let's talk about what they did for a living. So um, Jose was a, he was an executive, a movie producer, right? I don't know. Okay. I don't know. I thought, I thought it was something like that. Yes. I believe that's what it is. We'll he go was... with it. Two opinions make a fact. That's the current climate. Yes. He was all business. So the first thing they thought was mafia hit. Isn't that a weird place to go to, right? That just seems really odd to me. In California, in Beverly Hills. Well, it didn't last long. Whatever. I mean, I think they were like, we have no idea what's happening here. But I've seen a lot of Dirty Harry movies. I don't know if the mob was involved at that. But I I feel like maybe it was the Russians. That was their second go-to. Yeah, that should have been. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that didn't last very long. I do like the fact that they, at this point, kind of switch over to Dr. William Vickery. I didn't get his name. He has a very distinct look, that guy. He did. He absolutely did. And he wasn't, he seemed fairly neutral in all of it. Like, he's just telling you the facts, and I appreciate that about him. I agree. But he looks Mm -hmm. like someone that would tie you to the railroad tracks. That's all I'm going to (laughs) say. Yes. Okay. 
So, so stay away if he has rope in his hand. Gotcha. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's a forensic psychologist. He discusses a little bit of the background of the family. So they mm-hmm. aren't, they didn't just spontaneously, I mean, like didn't originate in Beverly Hills. They were actually from Calabasas. Mm-hmm. And there were some burglary, oh, motherfucker. burglaries <laughs> even, some of those. Yep, those two. <laughs> of uh, the wealthy friends of the Menendezes. And it turns out that it was the brothers who were committing these. Mm-hmm. That's not great. No, but I think you find that a lot. Remember when Winona Ryder was shoplifting? I mean, she had money. She didn't have to do that. That's true. That's true. Um, So we're going to maybe say it was teens being teens. I don't know. They're late teens. So Lila's old enough to be charged and like go to the slammer. Mm -hmm. But Eric is still young enough that he can take the rap for this and like have to do some counseling and like that old song and dance because they're rich enough to buy their way out of it. So that yep, is exactly yep. what happens. And then mm-hmm. they relocate to Beverly Hills. So, And then it never happened. Yeah, it's just completely, we pulled the rug over it. Uh, mm-hmm. We put a piece of newspaper down to soak it up. And then we just left it there forever. Our boy Alan and Sergeant Tom really like this. They were like, well, this proves everything. I don't know what else you guys want, basically. It's a red flag. I mean, it's, it's really one small step from burglary to homicide. Right. It's a gateway right. drug. So... As they're moving forward, so, you know, the cops did, you know, kind of a victim profile. They profiled the family. They found out about all the Calabasas stuff. They also are kind of watching the boys after Mm -hmm. the murder. Now, they're not technically suspects at first, but they're Mm -hmm. watching their behavior and they're spending a considerable amount of money. And what our Sergeant Tom would say is reckless amount of money. However, I like how Rebecca had a good point Cause she was like, listen, they were already really rich. This was just their lifestyle. Calm down. They're just continuing life mm-hmm. as it were. But they really focused on that in the media. Like, yeah. Oh, these kids just lost their parents and look, they're buying a car. They're going on trips. They're doing this, that, and the other. And so that was seen as horrible. And right. clearly they did it for the money. I mean, how many Rolexes do you need? Well, it depends on the band. It has to match the outfit. Jesus. Remember Swatch Watches? People had 10 of those. So, Yeah, they really did. You got to synchronize those bad boys. Also, let us talk about the fact that this spending really wasn't that extraordinary because the estate was so large. So this was really, I'm not going to say a drop in the bucket, but the million dollars or whatever they reportedly spent really wasn't that big of a deal. Right. Right. I mean, it is to us because I'll never in my life have that much money, but for them, that was their life. That was their lifestyle and what they were used to. So it wasn't a big deal. You're right. Right. So it really was the media that hyped up the spending and they kind of pitted that against the violence. So Mm -hmm. they really, really wanted that money. They were living in practical poverty prior to this. Those parents, (laughs) they didn't give them anything. Right. This is like an Oliver Twist situation. It was not. They were they were extremely well to do before this. And I think I guess I just don't I think kids spend money stupidly anyway. So oh god, <laughs> it's just yes. like not a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Especially yeah, when you're that age and you have the access to that amount of money that you don't have to ask for, of course you're gonna fucking spend it. Right. We meet Dr. Aisha Shai. She's mm-hmm. a forensic psychiatrist specializing in evaluating and treating trauma based disorders, including sexual abuse. Mm-hmm. Loved her. Loved her. Yeah. And she just 
comments about the spending, she's like, listen, right after you finally get free from the abuser, however that happens, right, that initial freedom can lead to reckless behavior because you've never had that before. You've never been able to do stuff without ramifications. Mm -hmm. And so what they were doing spending wise really lines up with the abuse theory of what was happening. Yeah. So we can kind of talk about Judalon Smith. Is that how you pronounced it? Yeah. What the fuck is that name, by the way? Come on now. Really? Sorry. I don't know. We we were talking about names the other day and we're like, "Mm, you go too different and it's just weird and just, I find it ostracizing. Like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. I guess unless you're rich, then you can be called Apple or whatever. And it's not a big deal. No one (laughs) cares. It's charming. So our bestie, Judalon, and -hmm. do you think she doesn't go by anything else? It's always Judalon, isn't it? Don't you think so? Absolutely. Actually, Judalon Smith, even. She's a two-name person. (laughs) (laughs) She refers to herself in the third person. (laughs) She is the girlfriend of Eric's psychiatrist psychologist counselor of some variety his name a doctor is, something yeah i i think it's dr Oz, oziel ozel i keep wanting to say ostriel that is not correct <laughs> well you know what he's not a very nice person we can call him dr ostriel and we can call him whatever we want <laughs> uh, so i didn't have his name written down i just put the therapist the therapist okay we'll just mm-hmm. go with that because we don't know what mm-hmm. we're doing um at least i don't <laughs> So it just so happens that Eric confesses what they did to the therapist. Mm -hmm. The good doctor kind of recorded a meeting because he called the brothers back in. I think he actually called Lyle and he's like, uh, he calls Lyle. Yeah. He's like, your brother told me everything. And Lyle's like, listen, motherfucker, I'll be down there in a minute. Right. And he is the, the doctor referred to him as intimidating and he was very upset. And so he felt threatened. Doctor mm-hmm. felt threatened. Mm-hmm. So yeah, that's when he called them both back in mm-hmm. and had them sit down. Now here's my question. He did record this session with the two of them at mm-hmm. which point they both confessed to murdering the parents. Yes. Was Judalon they say that she was part of it, but I didn't know if she was like in another room. So the boys didn't know, or if she was in the room with them. I don't think that she was in the room. I think she knew about the confession and she felt guilty, felt, I mean, it could be lots of things. They don't really actually talk to her. Right. But he said that she was there because he wanted a second person because he was mm-hmm. worried, right? He felt mm-hmm. threatened. So I'm sure Dudelon had a black belt in some sort of martial arts. Right. So she could protect him. But what they didn't say is whether or not she was in the room. And I think to me that makes a big difference because mm-hmm. if she's not in the room, he's now broken his patient, patient confidentiality. Yeah. I guess if I had to pick, she was probably in a different room. Cause I just don't think they would be that open. If he's like, don't worry about the lady in the corner just she's just like a plant (laughs) she's she's got her beads Mm -hmm. on it's fine she's not listening to what we're saying Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. yeah that's what I assumed as well but I didn't know and that makes it in my opinion makes it worse it makes him even more of a dick right because now he's again he's brought in a second person and broken that confidentiality but Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. however she got the information 
Sergeant Tom says the details included in their confession would be something that the only the, only the perpetrators would know. Yeah. So, yeah. He took the tape to the police. Yes. So there were details in there that they were convinced that the boys had done it. Okay. I don't, it's fine. That's kind of what they admit to really. I mean, in the end. But I do like the fact that at this point they start talking about, there's a bunch of other crazy shit going on. I don't know if you've heard Mm -hmm. about a thing called the Rodney King beating that was going on in LA. Yeah. There were the LA riots, which were kind of related to the Rodney King thing. Mm -hmm. There were mudslides. There was all kinds of shit going on. Earthquakes, and, fires. Right. Yeah. Swarm of locusts. It was really getting biblical Probably. up in there. Yeah. So you had mentioned the court TV, the Menendez trials going to be gavel to gavel. So they're going to show all of it, even the boring stuff, which yeah. I'm sure somebody loved. They kind of start to talk about, the boys start to accuse their parents of, well, their dad especially, of sexual abuse. So six months after the murders, the brothers were arrested. Yeah, okay. It takes three years to get to trial, mm-hmm. right? Just a lot of shit coming on and all that. And I like how in this they show like prosecutors start with like calling police officers to describe the murder scene. And that's not really, we know that they did it. You're just setting up a gruesome scene and showing a horror movie, which I think is not necessary. But I understand why they're doing it, but it still annoyed the fuck out of me. And then we have our friend Alan, the reporter, who really didn't see it as anything other than a brutal crime of these two kids killing their parents for no Mm -hmm. other reason than money. Um, It's black and white to him. And Mm -hmm. every time he Mm -hmm. opens his mouth, I want to fucking punch him. So the prosecution was saying it's all money. That's the only reason why they did it. Right. All money. And at one point, the prosecution even talks about a life insurance policy that they they asked about. They got cashed out. Like, that was a big deal. It was like $600,000, which is nothing for these kids, right? They have a shit ton of money in that estate. So this is, this is what they killed them for, $600,000. Are we all not supposed to do that now? Like, is that, is that going to just cast doubt on everyone who ever takes, like... A life insurance policy out? Like, I'm not buying one on you, you know? Right. It's not one that the kids bought on their parents. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? It just like, happened to be there. Yeah. It's, mm-hmm. A lot of a lot of people have a life insurance policy, and it's there for protection for the ones that are left behind. You know? I mean, so it's like yeah. the life insurance policy in itself is not problematic for me if they had bought no. it as a gift shortly before the death. I mean, then we're getting into some weird territory, right? Like, right. There's not really any reason for this. So the circumstances, how the life insurance policy came about, were not discussed, but they really hit that hard. Like, well, it's, you know, another two Rolexes for them or whatever. Sorry. I just keep coming back to those Rolexes. (laughs) That's just the tangible thing that comes to mind. Yeah. It seems like a lot of money for a watch. I, I agree. That doesn't, that doesn't even count your steps. I mean, come on now. It's just a fucking watch. It's analog even. Jesus. I mean, can they read analog? Well, they were still teaching that at school at the time. So. Yeah, I think they were. Yeah. Right, right. I'm sure they've Is updated it, by now. Can you scuba dive in it? <laughs> I hope so, because they're rich people. Look, if you have a shiny Rolex, it's going to draw on those Barracudas. you got to be careful with that. They like the shiny stuff. That's true. So they talk about, Lyle actually talks about, mm-hmm. at one point, they there was an attempted jailbreak that had nothing to do with the brothers at all, but 
for some reason, the prosecution really wanted to put them in the middle of it. And so they use it as an excuse to seize a bunch of stuff from Eric, the younger mm-hmm. brother. And in that stuff were some letters that Lyle had written to Eric after they were arrested, but well before the trial, because remember, mm-hmm. there were three years there. Right. Where Lyle's asking Eric not to discuss the abuse. Right. This is something they still wanted to keep to themselves. Right. It is. It's a little easier now to come out, but back then it was not, it's hard in general for a man to come out and say that he was abused, right? Because men are supposed to be seen as powerful and aggressive. Yes. Mm -hmm. So to say that you were abused, especially by another man, um, that would be very difficult, just period, right? Which I, in my opinion, was the most interesting part of this whole documentary is they discuss the the circumstances around why people judge these guys so harshly in some mm-hmm. areas but were really unwilling to admit any kind of motivation beyond the money there was no discussion i mean like they were very harshly judged because they didn't come forward with these abuse allegations they were extremely well, harshly judged because you know i don't know I, and they were so young when it happened and I'm like, when it what started, do you expect yes. them to do? I just, I found that very fascinating. Right. Even Alan at one time. Well, why didn't he tell the psychiatrist? Well, Alan, did you ask what he was wearing? Did he ask for it? Come on now, motherfucker. Seriously. Right. Right. And they talk about things like, this is right after the AIDS crisis. Like maybe the AIDS crisis is starting to calm down at this point. We yep. as Americans are extremely uncomfortable with homosexual relationships at this point mm-hmm. they're very much demonized and so a man would mm-hmm. be very much encouraged to keep any kind of contact like this in the dark and so mm-hmm. and I liked that Dr. Aisha mentioned several times look if you are the child of an abusive parent you still have a lot of feelings for that parent even though like right. they are horrible people in some regards right. but also you are dependent on them for a lot of things so you have some very complicated feelings about this. And I think at the time of this trial, we were not willing to look Mm-mm. at those kind of motivations for these kids. And it's just startling to think about now how the kids are more open-minded because there's been more research mm-hmm. and we're more familiar with um, this kind of stuff. Cause at the time of this, we didn't even want to admit that abuse in the home was even happening. Well, and they had mentioned that it was easier it was easier for the population to believe that they killed their parents for money than to believe that the boys were being molested. Right. Right. Any, anything is easier to believe than that. And they just didn't want to, because that's too hard because if it happens within the house and it can happen in anyone's house. Right. Well, I think, and who benefits if we bury this discussion, it's the, the abuser men who <laughs> are doing mm-hmm. the abusing. I think Mm -hmm. we didn't talk about Karen Conti, who is a different attorney. She kind of comes in and she talks about some of the legal choices that were made by the defense attorney. Her name was Leslie Abramson. Abramson, yeah. Okay. She, this is Karen, specifically mentioned that it's married men that know the victims make up most of the predators. Yeah. So I wonder if they're the ones directing this narrative. Just a thought. Mm Mm-hmm. It's terrifying. Well, yeah, her statistics, for fuck's sake, that word is not. I know, I got one today. Yeah. (laughs) 
The statistics are 93% of pedophiles know their victims. 76% of them are married men. Mm-hmm. And one out of every six males will be abused by the time they're 18. That's pretty high. Yeah. Whether or not they come out. And that, yeah, they have statistics later that show that very few of them actually come out and tell anybody what happened. Mm-hmm. And if they do tell anyone what happened, it's very unlikely it'll be a person of authority. Right. Yeah. And so it's as women... I think we're more inclined to understand that yeah. because most women have been sexually assaulted at some point or another. And very few of us say anything about it because it's easier mm-hmm. than having to go through the rigmarole of what were you wearing? Did you ask for it? Did you specifically say, no, no, please don't do that or whatever they're going to fucking say. Right. Are you because drinking? Whatever you did, it was wrong. Like how right. dare you just exist and tempt this poor man with your general presence. I know. So, yeah, I think we're much more inclined to believe that someone has alternate motivations for not screaming to the rafters at the first moment of anything. And that's, I think that's the expectation. Mm -hmm. But please make sure that you got some proof also. That'd be nice for everyone. That guy. (laughs) That guy, I swear. Anyway, um, (laughs) during the, well, here, there is some proof. During the jail seizure of Eric's stuff, Mm-hmm. There was a letter, or the letters that Eric had, or Lyle mm-hmm. had written to Eric, that that I said did ask him not to bring this up. So this is before they even used it as a defense. So that is proof that what they were talking about was real because they mm-hmm. weren't even going to use it as a defense until later on talking to a consultant. Mm-hmm. But that didn't fit the narrative of the prosecutor, so they just kind of hush hushed that and made sure mm-hmm. that it was pushed away. Well, I think it's also interesting to talk about this wasn't exactly a well-kept secret there were people in their family that knew mm-hmm. there's all kinds i mean we we discussed that the prosecutors had a bunch of police officers talking about like this was a horrible scene and we're mm-hmm. like we get it it was bad however the defense has a bunch of teachers and family members and cousins mm-hmm. and all kinds of fucking people in their lives that were like they said some weird shit very early like, yeah. does your dad touch you here? And people were like, I'm sorry, what? Yeah. And then, I mean, all kinds of stuff. And I, nobody said anything that's problematic also. Yeah. That's something I was thinking about too. And so mm-hmm. when it comes to family members, you know, you have to wonder, there was an uncle that was brought up. Mm-hmm. He flew from another country over mm-hmm. to testify. To testify. Mm-hmm. And he testified to a time when Lyle was, I don't know, running around playing with kids at one time. He's young. Mm -hmm. Jose goes over, grabs his arm, and whispers something in his ear. Now, the uncle doesn't know what was said, but it was apparently scary enough that Lyle peed his pants immediately, like all over the floor, Mm -hmm. which, of course, pissed Jose off. And so he drags him down the hall into a room and punches him, full punch, closed fist, in the stomach. Mm -hmm. To which the uncle was like, the fuck, dude, that's not okay, man. Mm-hmm. And Jose was like, yeah, fuck you. My kids, I'll raise them high one. If you don't like it, leave. Mm-hmm. And he left and he never and came so back. Yes. Yeah. And Lyle's like, well, I'm glad he came to testify, but why didn't he help us sooner? Right. Where were they? And I think that goes back to this whole thing. Like we don't get involved in other people's business mm-hmm. and how yeah. different things could have been if that were the case, because this man was a rich man. He was a powerful man in some regards. Sounds like he was a total and horrible bully. Um, and people yeah. don't want to tangle with that. So it's really unfortunate. 
Well, um, and let's think about the time frame. Even if someone did come forward, mm-hmm. they probably would not have taken it seriously. They probably wouldn't have done anything. And then the kids would have been hurt more. Because even Dr. Aisha, what was her last name? Shy? She was talking about how, yeah, the abuser eventually just becomes compliant because they realize if they fight or they struggle, they might get hurt worse. And so they're hoping to get a little bit of like that the abuser will be easy on them if they just take it. Right. A hundred percent. I also think it's very interesting that during the trial, the prosecutors say that men cannot be raped. Right. That fell out of their face because they don't have the required equipment to be raped. I have no words. Yeah, I was just like, oh, they said that, and, like, it was recorded and stuff. Like, oh, <laughs> like, God. Have you never, did you completely miss health class? Never stumbled across <laughs> a single porn anywhere accidentally. Come well, I mean, on. that speaks, I mean, volumes of, let's just say you are raped. Man or woman, they don't take it seriously anyway at this time, so it no. doesn't matter. It's no. fine. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, that's a great example of the attitude that was taken towards the abuse allegations or whatever was going on at this time. And they show clips of Lyle, especially testifying. There's some from Eric, but man, Lyle's what he had to say was just brutal. It's horrible. It really is. I don't really want to get into the specifics of it. It comes across in my opinion as compelling. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know why anyone would look at the, the testimony of either Lyle or Eric, Mm -hmm. because Eric, they don't necessarily show. I don't know if he discussed so much Mm -hmm. the details, but one thing they do ask him is what prompted this, right? You guys have been Mm -hmm. dealing with this for a long time. Mm -hmm. What actually prompted you to move forward and actually murder your parents? And Eric said, when he told Lyle that the dad was abusing him as well. So they're both being abused separately and the other one doesn't know. They probably both, especially Lyle, probably felt like he was protecting Eric by taking one for the team, as it were. Right. And so when Lyle finds out that's not the case, he, that's it. They, I think within a couple weeks, they killed the parents. Oh, and also they found out like a week or two ahead of time that the mother knew the whole time. The mom knew and didn't do anything about it. And that's a tough, that's a tough stance too, because you really want to think that the mom would come in and save the day, but abuse relationships are very complicated and it's possible that Mm -hmm. she was also being abused in some form or another. Like we don't know anything about her story. Yep. But that's what I was going to say too. Yeah. She she was probably being abused as well. But as a kid, if you asked your mom and talked to her and all she said was, yeah, I fucking knew or whatever. And wasn't at all sympathetic mm-hmm. or anything. I understand. I would probably take it this way as yeah, they did. hundred percent. You just didn't save 100%. us. Yeah. Well, I mean, they don't have the benefit of understanding what adult relationships are like or whatever. I mean, like, you know, as a person right. with some season on me, I understand. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Yeah. I, know. <laughs> I think as a kid, you don't have that perspective, but as an adult woman, I can understand because You've heard Mm -hmm. it enough now that sometimes you just get stuck in these horrible cycles and whatever. So I like that Dr. Sharon talks about the testimony is compelling and it's replayed quite a bit. There's a lot of parodies, which is just the worst that humanity has to offer, but fine. Basically, people are left with a choice of you can believe what they're saying and be absolutely horrified by Mm -hmm. the reality of their circumstances, or you can just believe that they were a actors 
That's best what ever. People yeah. Because it's easier to believe yep. that that was like mm-hmm. Oscar level performance. Yeah. Well, and that's it. A lot of people said, oh, it was too fake. It was too much. Too. I'm like, what, what would be the appropriate level when discussing how you were abused sexually by your father? And just, right. just so I know for the future what to look for. Sure. We have our friend Alan who said, maybe it's because I went to journalism school. Maybe it's because I went to law school. But people lie, especially when their lives are at stake. Of course they fucking lie to save themselves. But listen, again, calm down. You're not that fucking awesome. He just, he's so condescending in everything he says. He really is. And they kind of talk at this point that there had been some very questionable pictures of the boys as young children, naked and not like, when you're a baby, I guess, I feel like everybody has a couple like silly bath pictures or whatever. It's not, this, these were not in that these kids were like 10 or yes and the the prosecution comes through with like well we don't know who took these uh it's probably the boys taking pictures of each other and i'm like yeah what the fuck are you talking about because the defense was like these were taken by jose there's no reason for him to have them other than yes he's a gross old man and the prosecution again like you said was like oh the boys are clearly from the perspective because it's like from the nose down that the boys were taking them of each other i'm like Clearly, the father just didn't want their fucking face in it, right? It's not definitive. <laughs> I think, I mean, Occam's razor suggests the simplest answer is the correct one. Yep. Maybe mm-hmm. if Alan had gone to science school, he would have figured that out. <laughs> Along with all nope, that journalism and law is all he needs. Ugh. Yeah. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with him having some skepticism about what's going on. But again, I think you have to look at it from what makes the most sense. Yes. They were really playing the long game here. They're like, let's frame dad. Let's start when we're seven. Like, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Oh, it's so stupid. Well, and let's point out, even if they were, let's say that the kids did take pictures of themselves like that. Where did they learn that behavior from? From that's their dad. That's an excellent question. Yeah. Right. That's where it comes from. So, but yeah, they, they show during this because there's a they do cry on the stand which is understandable considering the subject matter which is being discussed but they show like snl skits and you know all sorts of really tasteless Mm -hmm. comedy i use that term loosely yeah and john john malkovich is in it and that just makes my heart so sad i know (laughs) i thought better of him but it's painted in such a different perspective now like that was mm-hmm. fashionable it was okay. at the time and yeah, yeah. I know. it's it's just fucking terrible so can we talk about cliff gardner yeah we can another fascinating profession that i would not yes. have considered well a specialty if you will in law right he's a lawyer but his specialty he represents people post-conviction and i was like mm-hmm. i mean i guess there's obviously a need for that yeah and he represented lyle specifically he talked about their defense strategy and it was called imperfect self-defense formerly kind of the battered wife defense mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and then they talk about alan dershowitz and i'm like okay let's not let's not bring him into this <laughs> famously he's associated with the abuse excuse and so he's saying mm-hmm. like look 
we can't let people off because they said that they were abused because then everybody would just be killing everybody. But basically I read into that, like we can't have wives killing their husbands because that might affect white men. (laughs) (laughs) Right. You know, what happens if all the people I abuse come back to me? Right. And so he's like, look, that's not an excuse for killing people. And it's all this stuff about, well, they could have left. They could have done this. They could have done that. All the things that you would say as a person who's not familiar with how abuse fucks up your brain yeah and it's stuff like financially are you able to do that i mean like you know mm-hmm. there's always rebuttals to this stuff but again he's famous for saying like look people be abused you just have to figure it out without killing people okay that'd be great yeah. they can kill you that's we're fine with that yeah so yeah that's my deal with it. moment for today suck it up and deal with it yeah i you know you know the type of people who say that fucking abusers those are the kinds of people that say that well i mean and this is not our opinion this is something that's pretty out in the public kind of after that had its moment at the time right Mm -hmm. so yeah yeah still douchery if my if you really want to know how i feel about it but it is it is Mm -hmm. Uh, people saw it as a get out of jail free card there they have like Interviews of people. One woman said she would pay to see them killed because oh, you know the, you can't fucking the do that. Brothers, yeah, it's yeah, just, it is harsh. One guy says, "I don't want them to die. I want them to go free, and I want them to have kids that will grow up and kill them." And I thought, well, if they don't abuse them like their parents did, they probably won't have that fucking problem. But here we are. I it was it was man, it was trial by fire. It was harsh to watch these people. I agree. Talking Could shit. You? I mean, could you imagine watching somebody be put to death? Um, no, thanks. No. <laughs> Just, I prefer to keep that part of my soul innocent. Thank you very much. I'm not interested. Yeah. So let's get to a bit of good news after all this horror, at least in my opinion. The jury deadlocks in the first, as the result of the first trial for Lyle and actually for Eric. So mm-hmm. they are... It's a hung jury. Yep. So yeah. it's a mistrial. Right. So what I thought was interesting is six... Jurors wanted murder and six wanted manslaughter. Mm-hmm. So it's not like innocent or guilty or any of that. It's like, okay, right. was it manslaughter, which was kind of justified, or was it pre-planned murder for money? Mm-hmm. Then, yes, it was a mistrial for both of them. Mm-hmm. When they were starting the second trial, because they're like, listen, we're going to just go right back into it. Got this mm-hmm. momentum. And why is that? Let's talk a little bit about why they were so hot to get back into the uh, courtroom with these guys this is a real black eye for the DA. Yeah, because it was right after OJ was found not guilty. So the prosecution is like, fuck, we need to win this one. Right. right? We look bad right now. So we're mm-hmm. going to come back at them with guns ablazing. So they mm-hmm. went back to trial very, very quickly. Yeah. So they had different prosecutors, mm-hmm. same defense lawyers, same judge. Interesting. Yeah. The things that they did learn was there was no televised part of this one. The only thing they televised, I think, was like the reading of the the verdict. So they learned not to do that. But there were things, when you look at how the second trial was handled, the judge ruled differently on things that he had ruled already in the first trial. He ruled differently in the second trial. He did not allow evidence of abuse. He wouldn't even really let them talk about the abuse mm-hmm. as a case. It was like, well, they might've been whatever. They killed him for money. You know, it was just kind of a side right. note. So there was 
he ruled in opposition several things. So they excluded some very important testimony from one of the cousins who said that mm-hmm. that one of the boys had talked to her early. I'm like, so this is not after the murders happened. This was as they were children. Yes. Some corroborating evidence for the abuse kind of. <laughs> Are you being beamed up? Look, it's been really nice being your friend. I really enjoyed it. See you later. See you later. Okay, bye. <laughs> Jesus. Really I don't know what odd. that was. <laughs> it was like, a, okay. I would say a motorcycle, but one that needs a lot of work on it because it sounded really bad. Sorry. Okay. I'm glad you're anyway. still here. That was, I'm worried about you now. Okay. Uh, good, good stuff. Um, yeah. So all of the, Good, corro- uh, good corroborating evidence for the defense was kind of really cut in. Um, they didn't get a lot of traction. They weren't able to present the same case. Mm-hmm. So that was really a bummer. Yeah. So they went into it and everything the defense had built as their defense essentially was thrown out. So all they could do was argue against what the prosecution had and they didn't have a very good case since everything got thrown out. They were both convicted of I believe first degree murder. That's what I've got. Yeah. And this is in 1996. That's late. Seven years. They were both spared the death penalty. That's mighty wide of them, Mm -hmm. but sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. Mm -hmm. And it said they had been in brother brothers had been in prison since 1996. And I thought, what had been 1990 when they first turned themselves (laughs) in like six months after the murder is when they were arrested. So isn't that kind of when it starts? I mean, I don't know if they were just in county lockup or they were like house arrest. I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the rules are. I mean, that's rich people jail too. So that's true. If you plead guilty to murder, I think they just keep you locked up. They don't (laughs) let you go home with an ankle bracelet. But Well, this kind of occurred to me like, so if you get a hung jury, it doesn't count as double jeopardy to be retried right away? Mm -hmm. doesn't. Okay. no, because double jeopardy, I think, only counts if you have already gone through and gotten a verdict. So if they've gotten okay. a verdict of not guilty, unless you have new evidence, which is kind of the problem now, okay. is you have a certain amount of appeals, but you can't bring it back to trial without new evidence. And it's okay. the same. Okay. I'm sure someone can tell me how wrong that is. And that's fine. <laughs> that's absolutely fine. I am not a lawyer. So maybe Alan, Alan can school Good me, right? Lord. Yeah. <laughs> Alessa Dominguez, she's a culture writer for BuzzFeed. She talks about all the kind of tabloid TV dramas they made about this in the 90s because they were cheap to make, easy to make. How cheap could they be? They had Beverly D'Angelo and Edie Falco. Falco. No, that was later. That was 2017. Oh, oh, you're right, right. Um, But in the 90s, who played Jose? It was... um, Oh, I can see his face, but I didn't write down who he is. But yeah... (sighs) A famous actor. Yeah, he's in everything. And I don't know why I don't know his name, but I know his face. And they had a bunch of different, like, lifetime movies that all kind of focused on the prosecution's version of the story, Mm -hmm. right? It was all for money and these poor parents. Now, they did show Jose as kind of overbearing, a little bit hard on the boys, but that was the Mm -hmm. extent of the Quotey Fingers abuse that they portrayed. Yeah, a lot less rapey than he may have been in real life. Because um, this is totally <laughs> from, this is the police narrative. Yep, yep. So, yeah. But in, I think, 2017, Law & Order did a version of the story. Like mm-hmm. 
special version that they were doing. Yeah. I think they did the OJ Simpson one too, didn't they? I believe they did. Yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, they had Edie Falco. She played Leslie. Mm-hmm. And they portrayed this one more from the defense's point of view mm-hmm. and really focused on the boy's story in that, which I thought mm-hmm. was better. I have not seen it, but now I'm going to watch it yeah. if I can find it. Yeah. <laughs> so this kind of starts the new viewpoint and interest in the story. Mm-hmm. Like, granted, it's 2017, which feels like 10 years ago, but it's not quite. Yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest. Last week feels like 10 years ago sometimes, so... <laughs> Time, time has is no meaning. nothing. Right. <laughs> yeah. Time has no meaning. Karen Conti, again, the Chicago attorney, talks about, is it possible that there would be a new trial? And that's very difficult to do, as you mentioned, because the appeals are becoming exhausted. They don't have a lot left to go for. And there's not necessarily been any super compelling new evidence. Mm-hmm. There is some thought that um, Cliff Gardner brings up that a friend of Eric... No, My... his cousin. Okay. I think Andy was his cousin. Whichever he was, he's really not even part of this because he passes away. But his mom finds a letter that Eric mm-hmm. has written. And it talks about, I mean, this is written months before the shootings, but it's corroborating the claims. And it's just like, I can't stand it anymore. He just won't leave me alone. I've tried to, mm-hmm. you know, get along, you know, going along to get along. And it's just not working. And I don't know what to do mm-hmm. anymore. So that might be enough to, you know, get them back in the courtroom. Well, we don't know. It does not happen yet. We don't know. Yeah. And Andy did uh, testify in the initial hearing. Okay. So he knew. He knew mm-hmm. about it and he testified yeah. to it. Yeah. But this is so, like evidence, not just yes. Here's people talking, if you yeah. will. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, they talk about is it enough to get the case reopened and charge for manslaughter? So that's what it mm-hmm. is. They wouldn't ever be found not guilty because they, they'd admit to killing their parents. What it would do is change the sentence from murder to manslaughter, and mm-hmm. in which case the manslaughter time would be a lot less than what they have already, which is, well, mm-hmm. life, right? Right. And they would have already served their time and so would be able to be released. Right. This might be a really stupid question, but if they get released, does the estate still belong to them? I mean, I don't know. They didn't discuss that. I think that if you, I don't know, that'd be interesting to find out. Cause I mean, surely it wouldn't go to the state. I think they have to die before it goes to the state and there's like right. no like person lined up to take it. I think that's when yeah. you, when you do that, when that happens. Yeah. I just wasn't sure because I know technically life insurance, if you are found guilty, like they'd already spent it. Yes. So it's not a big deal. But if you're found guilty, you can't get the life insurance, right? Because right. you killed this person. Right. But the estate is different. So I would think, mm-hmm. well, they've probably hopefully been using it for their defense. I would think so. Hmm. It'd be hard for them to get jobs at this point. Because when you're locked up, you can't, you're not supposed to make any money off of your story. Right. So they can't write their own book or right. anything. But if they get out, they could. I would think that they could be advocates for, you know, something. something. I mean, like, it could be lots of different things. Right. I I think that they would be able to find a circuit where they could talk. And, I mean, there's no Sally Jesse Raphael or anymore, Phil Donahue Mm -hmm. or whatever. But I'm sure that there's some people who would like to interview. Hey, Jerry Springer's still going strong. So, (laughs) could jump on there. Uh, Right. (laughs) Uh, The former mayor. Anyway... (laughs) So Dr. Sharon kind of discusses that what's really happening on TikTok is they're having very deep discussions on the legal merit of this case. What should have happened? What could have happened? What will we say now? That kind of stuff. 
Right. Again, it's mostly young women. They're incredibly well-researched, which I love because the girls got brains Mm -hmm. and stuff. Yeah, we do. fun. I also thought it was interesting because we have a little bit of commentary from Lyle who discusses that he's in favor of what's going on because it's bringing more attention, not necessarily to what he is suffering, but it's domestic situations, domestic abuse, sexual abuse. And he says, you know, you drag that stuff out in the light, then it's harder to commit these crimes and people have more awareness and it's just Mm -hmm. better for everybody because people are paying attention. And I really thought that that was cool. Like, he comes off, in my opinion, and this is extremely well-spoken and educated yep. and not like someone who just killed somebody for money. I mean, like, he doesn't say anything about really himself and, you know, his mm-hmm. personal suffering. It's more like, look, I just don't want anybody else to fall into this. Right. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. He's never like, yes, hopefully they'll get us free. It's very much, hopefully people understand that this story, mm-hmm. their story this is what happens. If you have abuse in the family, if you have sexual abuse in the family, it's going to lead to homicide or suicide. Usually it's rarely ends well. So bring it out in the light. Don't let people get away with it. And yeah, I very much appreciated that thought as well. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, We don't really hear from Eric. They don't really explain why he's busy playing chess. That's what I got out of it. Um, Hells. Yeah. (laughs) So yeah, I don't know. I think in retrospect, I would be in favor of a manslaughter charge. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, again, I remember in the 90s, I remember thinking, well, they clearly did it for the money because that's yep. what we were yep. told. Once the trial happened, I was living in Florida when the first trial happened. And I remember it. It was hard to watch, right? I didn't watch the whole thing, but even those clips are hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And even then in my late teens, I don't remember thinking, yeah, they're horrible. They need to go to prison forever anymore, right? It was mm-hmm. it was easy enough to see that they had obviously been through some shit. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. Well, I, I think know. maybe that's where our perspective is different a little bit because I, I did not pay attention quite in that way. But I think it would have been different for me if they had come up with these allegations. And they did initially seem to come out of nowhere. But there seems to be enough background to say there was mm-hmm. something going on in that household. Right. It, it wasn't just something that they were scrambling and like they trying to find a defense. Yeah. Recovered memory or whatever. I mean, that wasn't really what was going on. (laughs) There were some things that had lined up and people who Mm -hmm. knew enough to say, yeah. So it's, it's not good. I like that the new generation, the younger generation is like, listen, you guys fucked up. You need to fix your mistakes. Let's all move on. Right. So much, so much good for them for holding us accountable. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And being more open to the fact that abuse happens, it happens in families, Mm -hmm. you know, the discussion was so new at the time that it really worked against these guys. And I'm like, man, they were so brave. And then they just got slaughtered in the media. I mean, it's just when you think about it now. Yeah. Watching some of those clips and things Mm. that people said was really uncomfortable because you just don't talk about it that way anymore. No, 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 no. You would be canceled immediately by both sides I think yeah just what's amazing to me is it shouldn't have been so new because like I said we went through that satanic panic bullshit in the early 80s right Right. that was late 70s early 80s when that started and they had kind of got to the point where they realized oh wait this does happen within a family right and that's because it wasn't it was inconceivable that that would happen in a family. So clearly it has to be some weird satanic ritual that's doing this. That made more sense for some reason. 
But since we had got past that, did they already forget that? I think just because it was something that had been discussed, it's not necessarily something that's been accepted. True. I feel like we still talk about stranger danger being, and that scares people a lot more than what is statistically supported mm-hmm. that most abuse comes from people you know. that you know, whether mm-hmm. it's sexual or, you know, domestic, like, you know, beating on people or whatever. That just doesn't come out of nowhere. There are rando cases where that's happening, but we we talk so much about watching your kids while they're playing outside. We do not discuss watching your kids with their playing with Uncle Bob. Right. Yes. And yeah. we, we're so uncomfortable facing that reality. Yeah. So. I did read something once on Facebook that kind of said, if you have to tell your kid to change what they're wearing before a specific person comes over, maybe not have that person over. You know what I mean? Yeah. And we're so concerned with how it's going to be perceived by that family friend or family member when really we Mm -hmm. should just be like, you just need to fuck off. Yeah. You should probably not be around my kids. Right. Right. Yeah. And then you learn the hard way. I hope it sinks in and we just fucking can be past it. Right. Okay. Well, you know, we'll keep an eye on it and see if anything changes. It'll be interesting to, uh, see what comes of it if anything so yeah I really liked this portrayal of the new generation and what they're bringing to the table there's some sharp cookies out there I'm telling you they are they're really good they're really good mm-hmm. all right okay what are we doing next week another social commentary mm-hmm. <laughs> we're gonna do one called aftershock released in 2022 um, this is a hulu pick running about an hour and 26 minutes it's kind of about women and especially brown women and how Mm -hmm. they're affected by maternity mortality rates, things like this, and Mm -hmm. then sort of what the fallout beyond that might be. I haven't seen it specifically. That's what the description kind of tells me. So this is, you know, kind of important to talk about now that we're moving into a place of forced birth potentially. So yeah. yeah, you know, it's not nothing to have a child, especially if you are a minority and mm-hmm. you know maybe this will help educate some people about that I know I've probably got some things to learn oh I know I do too I guess it's interesting to me that old ridiculous theories are still practiced like people if they're brown don't have the same pain tolerance we do they they can take more pain and I'm like but that's not right what the fuck is wrong with you why would you say something like that but doctors still right. have those kinds of things being taught and being right. they exaggerate too yes um, and it's you know drug-seeking behavior and all these just really yeah. horrible stereotypes and you know people don't trust the medical system and i understand the more i hear about this right. the more i'm like oh that's really horrible <laughs> so right? we're gonna take a look and and um give a review and and talk a little bit about some of these issues yep please join us We'll be discussing that um, next week. In the meantime, you can rate, review, and subscribe. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at GoDocYourself. And uh, we'd love to hear any comments and uh, suggestions. We'll take those as well. But uh, Mm -hmm. yeah, it's been fun. It has. Mm -hmm. And thank you for joining us. We Mm -hmm. hope to talk at you next week. (laughs) All right. (laughs) Later. Bye.